So good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Environmental Social Justice. We have our returning guest, Mr. Max Bear, who is ESJ's own international tech correspondent. So welcome back, Max. How are you doing? Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm doing well. Uh, hope you're doing well as well. I am. And you're all the way from Nice, France today on the south of France. So a little jealous because it's beautiful there. But we're going to talk tech today, and we're going to talk some seriously hardcore tech. So bear with us, people. Max is going to do some explaining. So Max yesterday sent me some info about the Cambridge Econometrics E3 ME model, which stands for the Energy Environment Economy Macro Econometric Model, Jesus, which IRENA, which is the International Renewable Energy Agency, uses in reports. What does that mean? <laughs> Okay. Um, well, I guess uh, I guess the uh, I guess the easiest thing to say is uh, let's explain this uh, back to front, right? So, uh, IRENA, um, uh, International Renewable Energy Agency. Um, yeah. Well, it's uh, those guys are exactly what they, those guys are exactly what they sound like. That's the easy um, part. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, uh, so. Essentially, what's uh, aside from aside from everything that the name tells you, uh, we can say that what's interesting to know about the International Renewable Energy Agency is that they're a really good source for uh, for information, reports, data, statistics, um, which cover all of them, which cover uh, you know uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the main markets in the world, um, a lot of the main technologies in the world. And they'll do it in such a way that you get a pretty clear understanding of what's going on on a country to country basis. Uh, so you, they really give you information apples to apples, which when you deal with when you deal with this issue on an international basis, uh, you actually have that you actually have that problem that, you know, country A might might give you their data in apples and country B gives it gives it to you in oranges. And what do you do with that? Exactly. Um, and that's where people get confused. They're like, well, how do we compare to other people? And do you want me to pull up the, the little presentation slideshow that you go for it? Okay, go let me it. pull that up right now. And do you see it? There it is. Okay, there it is. Uh, it worked. So, Thank God. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, the the next thing to explain is uh, E3, uh, what E3ME is about uh, energy, uh, right? So energy, environment and uh, and economy well that's also that's also more or less what it sounds like um i, I just came I, I just now came across uh, also an interesting graphic which i uh, wish i had uh, sent in advance uh, but yeah basically the idea is it's not just energy environment and economy but it, the idea is how these impact each other right hmm. um and well, if we're going to talk about a macroeconometric model, okay, right. So um, macro uh, macroeconomic models, basically, uh, what uh, what what there is to what there is to know is you'll have uh, many pieces to the economy, um, and uh, and you have some ideas about how the different pieces uh, relate to each other. Uh, sometimes uh, sometimes the um, the relationship between and among these, uh, be between and among these pieces, uh, gets uh, gets really quite complicated, uh, quite endogenous as well, which you can 
take to mean feedback loops, vicious circles, virtuous circles, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, if it's an econometric model, what that means is that uh, there's some statistics and some statistical research behind it. Uh, okay. So there we go. If we are me, Cambridge econometrics, uh, macroeconometric model, uh, basically, basically uh, we're talking about um, uh, a macro, uh, a, a, stati and a statistical model, uh, which is large, which has, uh, uh, which considers the effect of energy, uh, of energy, environment, and uh, and economy on one another. Um, okay. That's what there is to know. I'm going to advance to the next slide. Okay. Um, um, so, uh, uh, so yeah, uh, according to so Cambridge Cambridge Econometrics, they have uh, they've actually published a manual. It's about 130 pages long. Quite, it goes quite into, it goes into quite some technical detail. Um, so I had a chance to look at it, and this is this is uh, this is what I. This is what I uh, what I sent when I uh, when, uh, when you asked me uh, what what might be nice to talk about. Um, so uh, so basically, what there what there is to know with uh, what there is to know with with this is that the E three M E model is not a new idea. It's just a new model, so a new way that they've arranged the uh, the different pieces, uh, oh. but. Uh, the, uh, uh, but you know that being said, FT, the, uh, the FTT power model is an older model that they looked at, uh, and they uh, and they uh, and what they say is like, listen, people have been uh, making econometric models about uh, about the economy and energy and emissions uh, for a long time now. Um, so this model dates to this uh, this model FTT power dates to 2012. Um, so it's like the forerunner yeah. of uh, E3ME, uh, and so uh, uh, what there is to know is that they looked at the natural resources and the uh, energy technologies of uh, of 90 different countries, uh, and uh, and they uh, and they uh, track uh, and they track the and they and they track the distribution of resources uh, and how uh, and how they uh, and how they get depleted and what effect that has on the economy. Um, okay. Uh, and I guess, uh, is it possible to skip ahead to slide five right quick? Yeah, let me let me pull that up right now. So yeah. stand by, got to actually no. get there, which no I'm having a little trouble finding it. There we go. It's the, um, uh, the, the chart with FTT, uh, it's the FTT power chart. This one. No. Yes, that one. Okay, no. sorry. It took me a little while to get there. <laughs> no worries. All right, we have all day. Uh, so, uh, so all right. Uh, basic, uh, the, 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 basic, uh, the basic idea here um, is you, you can see, is you can see that uh, people have been thinking for a long time about how, uh, about how the economy uh, and the environment and energy uh, are, are, are related, uh, right? So, so uh, the so the basic the basic idea is that um, energy energy on one hand uh, certainly makes the uh, certainly makes the economy grow, um, yeah. and as the economy grows, you get electricity demand. Um, 
but as the economy grows then it's uh, then it's possible to uh, to do th it's it's uh, it's possible to do things which will uh, hit the brakes on emissions right so uh, the the example that uh, that the manual gives us is that you can is that when you have a sizable enough economy you can have feed-in tariffs uh, so yeah. uh, so you can uh, sorry feed-in tariffs have been around for a while yeah exactly um, well this 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 particular model is 10 years old, but to certainly yes. the, the feed-in tariffs, uh, it's actually it's actually a little bit difficult to, to, to get together research on on, uh, on feed-in tariffs because so many countries have done it that if you would Google, you know, feed-in tariff statistics, Google will be like, so do you want Norwegian ones or Japanese ones or what? You know? Six million options come back. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, so, uh, so yeah, basically the idea is that as the... As the economy grows and demand grows, and as, uh, basically, as long as the demand is there, you can, uh, and as long as the money on the table size enough, uh, sizable enough, you can uh, engineer. You can engineer feed-in. You can engineer feed-in tariffs, um, and so uh, basically, you can uh, you can uh, make it worth worth somebody's while to uh, to go out and uh, put up panels or to uh, collect tidal energy. Or uh, whatever the uh, whatever the, the the type of energy or energy storage you're thinking about might uh, you know what whichever whichever one whichever technology might be the one that you're targeting um, uh, you can you can you can do that and doing that will then uh, hit the brakes on on emissions um, and that's that's the that's the basic idea behind behind FTT power. Um, <laughs> what you have the um, acronym PG, just so people understand when they look at this. What does PG stand for? Uh, PG stands for power generation. Okay, thank you. That's what I thought, but I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to assume, and I don't want to mislead anybody by saying something that's wrong. <laughs> well, Do you want me to hit the next slide? Uh, well, uh, okay. Now I think we uh, can we go back to the E3ME uh, slide, which I think is slide three. Yes. Okay. This one. okay. So yeah, there we go. So uh, as far as I'm able to tell, um, uh, although again, it's 130, it's 130 pages, so I haven't managed to get through the whole thing just yet. And but, that's okay. <laughs> all right. So as far as as far as I'm able to, as far as I'm able to tell, uh, Cambridge uh, Cambridge Econometrica, uh, what they do, uh, basically, uh, sorry, Cambridge Econometrics. Um, uh, they uh, they put together this model in or they they published it in 2018 as far as I can tell. Um, so uh, what they'll do is that they, what they're looking at uh, they're looking at uh, the European member states um, and the and the manual is really proudly really proudly says and even Croatia right so so I'm guessing that the model was uh, so I'm guessing that the manual was published just after Croatia's ascension to the EU. Um, Excellent. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, uh, little known fact about ascension to the uh, about the ascension process to the EU is that when a country uh, when a country gets in, they have to start state they they start stating their their statistics in apples, uh, so that uh, so that uh, policymakers can can have direct comparison to what's going on in in the other twenty seven uh, member nations. Absolutely. Um, 
is um a dumb question here is the united states part of this or no <laughs> um well uh, so it says 11 major economies are, are explicitly uh taken into account that's what the uh, manual says and uh one uh, and uh, on one hand yes the americans are explicitly taken into account on the other hand whenever you see uh, whenever you see statements like you know a small number of major economies um uh, it, 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 that's that's always that's always going to be uh, like let's say the uh, the G seven countries yeah uh, and China right so that's going to be like you know U S Japan Germany China um, and uh, some of the some of the other major economies in the Indo Pacific right so okay. um, so that's so that's that's how we get to eleven um, we took it to eleven old joke sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they took it to eleven exactly, exactly, um, and uh, and and the rest of the uh, and the rest of the regions in the world being being grouped, in, or the rest of the countries in the world uh, being grouped into political regions uh, also uh, also uh, kind of makes sense in the sense that uh, you have uh, some regions of the world where uh, where let's say the eco the economics uh, the the economics and the politics in in those in those countries uh, really are very much part of their neighborhood, right? So, uh, an example of that is you can, if you think of uh, the Arab Spring, you saw that that you saw that that happened politically. It, okay, it started out as a as a student and labor a student and labor union protest in Tunisia, right? But you know, uh, in no time in no time at all, it affected. Uh, what was it like? Uh, what was it? Eight or nine uh, Arab-speaking countries, pretty much overnight. Um, so, uh, uh, so, uh, so the idea is that that sort of thing. Uh, that's that's uh, those are the sort of events which guide uh, think the the thinking which groups the world into uh, into uh, political and uh, and economic regions. Um, so. Uh, uh, so, uh, so yeah, I guess, I guess we could say if we go to the next slide, right quick. There you go. Right. Thanks. Um, so uh, yeah, we've got a few generate. We've got a few different generations of E3ME models. Um, so uh, I guess, uh, I guess what's uh, <clears throat> what's it, what's interesting to consider is that you know they've got is that they're looking at regions of the world. But also they're looking at like uh, subnational regions, uh, which is how, if you look at uh, the most recent E3ME model, um, what you what you see there is you have uh, uh, what you see there is you have in excess of 50 regions, right? So what that what that means, I guess, uh, I, I guess maybe it uh, maybe it's maybe it seems a bit weird to have a large number of regions, except uh, except to consider that at the subnational level. Uh, there are there are different things. Uh, there's different things happening as well, um, and uh, and as well they're taking they're taking into consideration, uh, you know, different uh, different in different industries and and their uh, and the uh, and the impact of those. Now, can we move on to slide six, which is the uh, the slide which shows the. Uh, Oh wow, that's quite small. Sorry, sorry about that. Uh, I'm sure it'll show up better on on people's bigger screens. <laughs> okay, perfect. 
perfect. So, um, uh, so yeah, what we can what we can see uh, what we can see here is that this is fundamentally the way a macroeconomic model looks, right? Like, yeah. basically, basically, you've got like many uh, many chunks to the uh, many chunks to the economy. And they're all having these, you know, interrelated relationships, and that's that's basically that's what macroeconomics really about. It's about understanding the uh, the interlinked and interrelational nature of, uh, of different pieces. Um, and uh, okay, so uh, I guess I guess the uh, the the idea here is that uh, we can see this we see this relationship between uh, between energy and the GDP so energy and economic output um, yep. and then we have and then we have again the relationship between the between the GDP uh, and employment um, uh, and uh, between GDP employment and, and and real income and so I guess I guess the idea here is that um, uh, you know, energy is that energy prices they uh, they're able to they're able to impact uh, on one hand the way uh, the way that um, the economy grows, like what what our demand does, what employment does, and, but on the other hand, they also are able to impact uh, investment, right? Uh, and and of course that makes sense from a supply and demand point of view. So uh, we can say that one. When it's clear that the uh, when it's clear that prices are high and the the, the demand is there, mm, there's a good reason to think that the uh, there's a good incentive for the investment to be there as well, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, this is uh, uh, this is this is again what uh, what uh, what feed-in tariffs are there to do. Um, but uh, I guess uh, I guess other other ways to approach this as well, like for example, uh, Japan is next month coming out with a feed-in premium. If you're familiar with that idea, no, tell me what that is. Okay, well, a feed-in premium is um, is basically like instead of saying, uh, right, we're going to give you a fixed price for your energy consumption or for your for your energy production, um, it's basically uh, instead saying we are going to give you a fixed premium uh, for your for your uh, for your energy production so uh, so basically if you are if you're able to if you're able to produce energy in a way which is uh, which is already able to uh, take advantage of market demand um, or if you're able to produce energy in a way which is economically efficient so cheap basically yeah. um, then you're still then you're still gonna then you're still gonna get your premium and if you and if you uh if you have trouble meeting the uh if you have if you have trouble getting your getting your energy in under cost uh because uh because the technology you're employing is really new and uh, you know uh, it's really a trial and error process well you're still going to get your premium um that's beneficial so it's, it's considered to be a bit more flexible that's the idea but since it's not starting until next month, I guess uh, we'll see what happens. We'll see where that goes. Well, I'll keep my eyes open now that I know about it. I mean, some some information I just don't get, and I'm I'm grateful that you just told me that because I find that fascinating. <laughs> uh, yeah, personally, uh, personally, I find uh, looking at the uh, looking at the Japanese market, particularly 
particularly fascinating uh, on one hand because they've been because they've been at it a while and yeah. in terms of uh, dealing with uh, the renewable the renewable energy economy um, and on the other because they're so large right like their their economy is the number three economy on the planet um, which uh, which means which means roughly that they're like they're the size of two france they're, they're they're like twice the size of france they're bigger than germany they're like they're big right yeah um yeah. and uh and and so uh basically uh they're able to incentivize a, a lot of uh a, a lot of different technological changes and also very famously they have the technology this is uh, one thing which is famous about the japanese market which i find interesting to talk about and think about oh, absolutely yeah um next, so, the next one yes please there okay. we go look at so, that so so this so this uh, what this graph is saying is basically it's it's kind of asking the question what is uh, uh what is going to be the uh the growth effect of uh of going through a power shift and and a technology shift right yeah because that is actually the thing that the international renewable energy agency wants to ask about that's why they uh that that's that's why they engage the services of cambridge econometrics is they they want to have some concrete projections about what's uh, what is this going to do to the economy right um oh. and the answer to what is this going to do to the economy uh, basically boils down to, um, according to the uh, to the IRENA report, uh, to the uh, IRENA report that I looked at for this, uh, which is a 2016 report. So it predates the pandemic, but, you know, still good, still good. Um, uh, so what uh, so what it what it comes down to is that they uh, they is that they essentially say that on one hand um there's uh, the fact that the fact that investments are made in in new uh, energy generation technologies and new, and also new energy storage technologies are generally going to are going to cause just all on their own you know one or two point one or two percentage points of economic growth just all the way across the board uh okay some outlier countries right um, i see two big ones <laughs> Ah, Ukraine. I don't know how that's going to turn out now, right? But, well, you know. that's true. Yeah, but I mean, I see Russia and I see Saudi Arabia are below the line. Which, um, yeah. Well, see, I guess, I guess the, I guess the, uh, the challenge that the, the, the challenge that the, that the Saudi economy is going to face with this is that if, uh, if all, if all the world's major economies start switching by twenty thirty to uh, renewable energy, that's really going to impact uh, the demand for their uh, for their exports, right? Because, yeah. I mean... I mean, the, Saudi has for many years um, been working on renewable energy, so they're not solely relying on petroleum. That's true. Um, but it is their primary export and the source also of true. their wealth. So I get it. I get it. Exactly, exactly. Um, and so I guess we, I should explain the, uh, the difference between... Uh, uh, the remap and the remap E, so like the blue bar and the uh, green bar, um, and uh, and the and the idea here is that 
we're talking about if i understood it correctly we're uh, we're talking uh, we're talking with remap uh, just about uh, like what are going to be the uh, macroeconomic consequences of um uh, of uh, cha- of 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 the technology changes uh that uh, that renewable energy is going to give um mm-hmm. but then remap e uh, basically says okay well what what is going to be the um, uh, the the macroeconomic effect once we can once we take into account all the, all of these uh, knock-on effects and second order effects right and that ranges from for example uh how's that going to affect the human resources right oh. and and see uh, a good example of how that would affect human resources is that when you're gonna when you're gonna go solar or when you're gonna go into uh maybe more offshore wind or tidal energy you also uh, you also need to uh you also need to bring on, on board the human resources right so it's a bunch of people with a bunch of new jobs right um then you have uh then you have also the fact that um i guess energy transitions are also going to lead to changes in energy efficiency right because uh, because you're also going to have uh, sectors like I don't know transport, which are which are going to need to which are going to need to figure out ways to adapt to the new infrastructure, and so actually transport and logistics is, is a big one, right? Um, so uh, so basically, once you start taking those things into account, also, then you see that uh, the, the the general idea is that the uh, the the economic uh, the the change in economic growth rate is supposed to be even larger. Um, that is uh, uh, so uh, so basically the story that uh, that the International Renewable Energy Agency wants to tell with this graph is uh, is that um, uh, you know growth will be the 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 growth the growth impact will be bigger than meets the eye. Uh, okay. Will be bigger than what we first project. Um, no, most countries not not some countries will suffer. Like I see, Denmark is going to fall below the line. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's it's the case for most countries. Yeah, <clears throat> uh, for most countries and not for all countries. Now, I haven't really had a chance to look into the specifics of each of these countries and and why the difference. Um, but uh, if I could. But if I could give some speculation about some of the uh, some of the ones that catch my my eye, uh, I think one thing worth noting about uh, about Denmark, um, which uh, you know I, I think is generally the case with a lot of other uh, small northern European countries, and you see that there's that sm- that northern Europe is not really that well represented on this graph. Um, yeah. But <laughs> I but the, that. <laughs> the idea is that if if the remap e basically says well part of the story is like how is this going to affect energy efficiency um i guess the idea is that uh if if we look at if we look at uh, the the small northern european countries they've already made the investment in energy efficiency so there's not it's not like they can oh, further yeah. double their growth by uh for example, putting bike lanes everywhere because they already yeah. have bike lanes everywhere. Yeah, no, they're, you're right. You're right. They've already done everything, so there's not going to be much of a change. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They've been very proactive. 
Um, so, uh, but also it's worth considering that what, what the, what the chart is really saying is, okay, well, it's not going to help you, but it's not really going to hurt you either. You know, like, don't worry, don't worry too much. Um, that's what, that's what's being told to Denmark in this chart. Yeah. Um, now, uh, now, uh, now that being said, if you would compare the, uh, other extreme examples, uh, if you look at uh, India and Indonesia, right. Uh -huh. uh, so yeah, some extreme examples from the Indo-Pacific. Um, so if I understand correctly, these two countries are in particular known for having some of the most severe traffic jams on the planet, right? In their in their major urban centers. That, that's I've never been, but I will believe you on that. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it, it, so if I understand correctly, what this chart is what this what this chart is telling me is like. Uh, you know, it's great that you're able to that, that you're able to switch to renewables, but uh, it's like you need to do something about the energy efficiency also in order to in order to really see these gains. Uh, okay. that, um, that's that's the situation. Now with Ukraine, I have no idea what what was projected because there's a lot of other because there's a lot of specific possibilities. Yeah. Um, on one hand, it might have also been a question of, yeah, please fix your, your traffic and rail networks and transit networks. But on the other, it might have been something along the lines of uh, that they may that uh, the International Renewable Energy Agency may have uh, may have foreseen some some level of um, increased uh, access or energy trading with the European market. Right. Um, okay. Because. Um, because one thing about being in the European neighborhood is that um, for for the states immediately around the EU, it's it's actually quite lucrative for them to do trade with the EU. Uh, and so uh, if uh, if small things change in such a way that it causes that it that it gets the EU's attention, that may uh, uh, that that may have uh, some quite substantial microeconomic impact. Just because of the trade relate, just because of the size of the trade relationship. Okay. Do you want me to hit the next one? Uh, well, I think that's 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 it, right? Oh, that's the that's last it. slide. Yeah. Well, there um, you go. That's so that's that's the that's the story with the uh, with the uh, macro. That's the story with the macroeconomic model, right? Um, basically, very complicated. Very, it's it it's complicated for the average viewer, which is who we sure. reach. But sure. the whole, I think the overlying message is everything is interconnected. Everything's a reaction to each other or a chain reaction, exactly. which is something I frequently say that exactly. our energy, our environment and our economy are all intertwined. Uh, yeah, uh, I see. I, I, I would, uh, yeah, I would say it exactly like that. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's important to, it, 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 on one hand, it's important to remember that, uh, that, uh, you know, energy emissions, Economy. These are all. These are all connected to each other, and they are, they're all able to impact each other. Um, and uh, and I guess particularly what that last what that last uh, little bit shows us, what that last little graph shows us, is that um, in order to really in order to really get the uh, in order for for a country to really get uh, the bang for its buck, they really got to take into consideration the nature of the uh, the nature of this interconnected relationship. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and as you said, apples to apples or, you know, we can't, we have exactly, to have everybody exactly. measuring the same thing the same way. Exactly. Otherwise it's crap data. And we all know what happens when you have garbage data, you get garbage results. Sure, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I wanted to, I, I want to say also one thing that shocked me about the, uh, about the last uh, graph there, the difference between remap and remap E is actually how much of a big deal fixing the, the transport and energy efficiency part of this matters oh um, huge uh yeah well the thing is that people keep saying it but to see it uh, but to see it in to a macroeconomic it. graph to say that it's not just nice to have more metro systems everywhere it's that it will affect the macro economy of a country the size of india you know that's yeah. really a different story but also transporting goods i mean mostly sure. in the u.s i believe most goods transported in the u.s are done by um truck tractor trailer trucks or semis. And I think it's only 2% is by rail. I, well, I'm guessing on that number, but um, it's not much. And I'm a huge train fan. I love trains. Family history is in the train industry. We need to fix our rail systems here. The rest, Europe has great trains, fantastic uh, trains. Certainly. At least I, in my experience. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. I agree completely. Like, uh, as you can as, as as you know, I'm an American expat living in living in the EU uh, yeah. since uh, uh, since tw since the uh, early 2000s, and yeah, I have to say that um, the, uh, the 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 rail infrastructure, and particularly when you get into the high speed rail, so like think oh, of yeah. like the French TGV system, for day, example, yeah. or the or the Eurostar oh, system. Yeah. <laughs> um, so on one hand. The quality of life improvement is certainly there for the individual, um, mm -hmm. but on the other hand, um, you can feel the macroeconomic effects of it as well. Or I can because I'm an economist and I think about these things on a full-time basis. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so uh, I could say a good way to feel the economic effect of it is to go uh, stand at like Paris North Station during rush hour, and you see that it's not just people commuting in and out of the Paris suburbs. But you see also the high-speed rail carrying business travelers uh, between Paris and London or Paris and Brussels or Paris and Cologne. Uh, so basically uh, basically hitting the capital of the EU, the capital of the UK, and the, uh, and the nearest large German city. Um, and, and, you, and, you can, and you can spot the business travelers, right? Like we're talking yeah. about suit, tie, briefcase, trench coat, you know, the Running. You know the look, <laughs> running, uh, shouting, uh, shouting in a in a neighboring language. Uh, so possibly shouting in Dutch uh, about how they do not have time for this crap. You know, like, um, so that's universal. This, yeah, certainly. But uh, what I mean to say is that when you stand there and you you observe this happening on a large scale, you think right. So all these business travelers moving back and forth. This is millions of dollars being generated. By the fact that the train is going to be in london in an hour yeah, uh or i guess an hour and a half is what it takes to get from paris to london by high-speed rail which um, is amazing and yeah, no, we, yeah we need to fix that here um <laughs> and so I it's not just that i like it or you like it it's that there's an economic impact to yeah. be considered no and people can i mean being able to commute especially for work from farther distances Sure. Or you can live somewhere else, but work in a major city. And, you know, not everybody wants to live in a metropolitan area. Sure, sure. And this gives well, them the opportunity to, to not do that. 
Well, it also it also makes the the cities more viable because um, one thing that uh, we read here in Europe about the major cities in California, uh, which is also true about Paris and London, is that normal mortal human beings cannot really afford to live. Um, it's certainly true. It's certainly true in uh, in central Paris, right? Like yeah. if you look at the the tourist the tourist areas that people think about, uh, you know, like uh, like Montmartre, for example. Um, which is uh, which was in the interwar period known for its arts, its jazz, you know, it's it's Picasso, it's Josephine Baker. Okay, great. And tourists go and and have coffee there all the time. But mortal human beings who are not born with trust funds cannot afford to live in such places, right? No, it's hugely expensive. Sure. Um, they so they say that about San Francisco, for example, as well. I haven't been, but I hear. Oh, it's it's awful. I have friends that their their commute into work before the pandemic mm-hmm. was like two hours. Same when I lived in New York. Um, I right. had friends that would New York, live, another one, Manhattan. Yeah, I had um, friends who would live in Pennsylvania and commute in from Pennsylvania. That's not close. Yeah, well, you know, uh, being originally from the D.C. area, uh, I definitely knew people who uh, who commuted to New York um, from the Washington D.C. area. So, you know, like it's uh, essentially what that does to a city is it's basically is it uh, caps out no matter how expensive the real estate in that city gets it actually and how unlivably expensive that city gets. It caps out how big that city can get geographically. Right. Yeah. Um, And what that means is that the people who live uh, who live and work in that city are either faced with very long commutes or extremely high cost of living to live in some commutable place. But then when you get a situation like, um, I'll say uh, between Paris and London, sure. But also like if you look at the situation between Paris and the Paris suburbs, um, now it's the case that a lot of startups, uh, uh, a lot of French startups are based in the Paris suburbs now, right? Um, so, So that means you have people commuting in and out. And another interesting region for this is um, there's a uh, is the uh, I guess we could say in Dutch is called the Randstad, which is the uh, uh, the co- the four main coastal cities because the coast is shaped like a curve, uh, and so you've got uh, I guess Rotterdam, Amsterdam, uh, The Hague, and Utrecht right along this curve, um, and so at the interior of the curve, uh, there we go. Uh, you've got you've got more or less like a uh, you've got more or less like a region of small towns and villages, and so you have like uh, who live and so you have the a region of small of, of small Dutch towns and small Dutch villages, which are very picturesque, the kind of place where tourists go to see tulips and windmills and that sort of thing, yeah, and right. eat eat uh, eat gouda cheese, chowda, uh, right? <laughs> um, to pronounce it as as it should be pronounced. Um, so people who live in such places. A lot of them will consist of families where, you know, the mom works in Utrecht and the dad works in Rotterdam or the, you know, the uh, or, you know, the, the big brother works in Amsterdam and commutes. Uh, and so they're all and basically such towns are like an hour from all of those cities taking advantage of the curve of the coast. Um, and uh, so that's what having a well-organized rail network allows people to do. Like it allows the cities to get big. Uh, it allows people to not have to live in them, to work in them. Um, 
and uh, and and it allows also like intercity business and intercity commerce to go very smoothly. Um, I uh, I can I can say that um, uh, yeah, basically, if if it were not if it were not possible to do uh, to travel in a business day between London and Paris or between you know Paris and Amsterdam or between Paris and Brussels. Europe would be a very different place. Oh, yeah. In, in and on business. that, I am going to have to close us down because we've hit the 40 minute mark. Okay. And I definitely want this to be part two trains and cities and economy and everything macroeconomics. So let's bring you back in a month or so. Does that work for you? Absolutely. I'd be happy to do that. Well, you are our international tech and economist correspondent. <laughs> So on that, guys, thank you so much. Max, great to see you again and enjoy the south of France. We will thank bring you. you back in a little while to talk more about trains, economy, and uh, the environment. All right, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. I wish you a nice day.